Welcome to the Empowered Modern Witches Show. Join us to learn simple, accessible ways that the seasons, moon phases, and astrology can help you finally create a spiritual self-care practice you can be consistent with. I'm your host, Tanae Stewart, the Witch of Lupin Hollow. I'm a practicing witch, a certified astrologer, and a published author. And I'm on a mission to help modern witches like you nourish your mind, body, and intuition so you can be your most magical self all day, every day. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm here today with Sarah Corbett, who is the founder and lead herbalist of Rowan and Sage. Sarah is a clinical herbalist, nutritional therapy practitioner, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and a traditional astrologer who is passionate about helping others come into relationship with the natural world. Thanks so much for being here, Sarah. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk with you again after just finishing up the conference. So I'm yeah, happy. it's it's been great to be in conversation a couple of times recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you tell us a little bit more about you and what you do? Yeah, um, well, you listed off my main, you know, titles there. Um, but yeah, I'm a clinical herbalist and I run Rowan and Sage, which used to just be me, but now we have a few folks on our team who teach and write and um, do all sorts of wonderful things with me now, which has been such a blessing to grow the business to be not just me anymore. Um, but I primarily these days teach herbalism in a variety of different forms. You know, I teach medicine making, I teach seasonal astro herbalism, I teach um, just about the ways herbs work and the many ways we can work with them. Um, it's been a while since I saw folks in my clinical practice, but I used to do that for the majority of my time. But now these days, it's just been really focused on helping people connect with plants um, by encouraging them to get to know them and like grow them and get out in their backyards and see what's growing all around them. I love that, that like really practical interaction, not just abstract. Yeah, I practiced clinical herbalism for a really long time. And to be totally frank, it really burnt me out. Um, and I started to kind of not like my career. I, I wasn't finding joy in herbalism anymore. And that that's a huge red flag for me because this practice is so joyful and so connected. Um, and so I stepped back from just doing the usual clinical pace, which is seeing multiple clients every day for an hour or so and writing a lot of um, recommendations for folks and filling a lot of tinctures and shipping them out and just doing all of this like administrative stuff um, for a 45 minute sliver of time where you're actually getting to connect with people. The admin was really, really wrecking me. So I took a step back and reconnected with why I love this work. And it really is to like bring more joy and beauty into the everyday by incorporating herbs into your life rather than just like taking them when you're sick, which is kind of what we end up doing in clinical herbalism sometimes. That is so true. And that's, you know, I, I talk a lot in my work about self-care and like having practices that really nourish us. And it is this, it's the same thing, you know, we do it prevent or not. We either think of it as preventative or we turn to it like, oh my God, everything fell apart. I'm totally burnt out. Now I need to practice self-care, you know? And it's like, no, actually these are things that we're meant to use all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I like to ask everybody this question um, at the start of episodes, and I'd love to hear your answer. So the question is, how do you think witchcraft can be a form of self-care and help you live your most magical life? Yeah, it's a really big question. Um, I mean, so many of us practice witchcraft or turn to witchcraft as a way of reclaiming our agency in a world that often makes us feel or literally makes us powerless or ex makes us experience powerlessness. Um, and witchcraft does have, it, it really is a doorway into being able to reclaim our agency and take more concrete action to create the type of life that we do want to live. Um, so magic is all about, you know, trying to create an intended effect. It's not just lighting candles and um, making moon water or whatever people are doing on Instagram these days. I'm so tapped out of the, <laughs> the, um, the space at this point. Um, but it's about, you know, directing our will, directing our intention to create a tangible change in material reality. And that can be such a powerful tool for caring for ourselves, but also for really caring for our communities, um, which is a form of self-care as well. I see a lot of people just talking about self-care, self-care, self-care. It's like, well, what about community care? And as witches, we are in relationship with a community of spirits that we're working with at all times at least in the type of magic that I practice. Um, and so it's not just about how can I care for myself, it's about how am I tending to the relationships that I have um, and how am I caring for that entire community with the way that I practice and the way that I live my life. Um, it's kind of a nebulous answer, but. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I, and we always get the best, like either super nebulous or super specific answers, you know? So it's a great question to get so many different perspectives on. Um, and I love, I, I love a lot of what you said, but I love what you said about community care. Like, you know, as witches, so many of us are, you know, think of ourselves as, or typically solitary practitioners. And there can be so much beauty and power and empowerment in that. And, we're not isolated. We're not islands, right? Nobody is. Um, and we have connections to the world around us, whether they're with other people or at the very least, like you said, with these spirits that we work with, whether they're spirits of plants or spirits of, of our ancestors, or, you know, we all have our different, different guides that we work with. Um, and I love that. I think it really shows how interconnected we are with like the world around us by tapping into our magic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know some folks out there do define witchcraft without the spirit work component, which really confuses me. I can't imagine doing this, doing any type of work without being fully woven into the web of spirits and relationships in my like surrounding community, you know, and like you said, it's plant spirits, it's ancestors, it's the spirits of this land that I'm standing on. It's, I mean, I'm an animist, so I, you know, honor the um, personhood, and I don't mean personhood in like human personhood way, because plants have a different kind of personhood than humans do, but that's really the only word we have. Um, but I honor the personhood and I guess individuality of all of these different spirits, regardless of um, my preferences or how I can benefit from them or any of these things. It's like they're there living their life. Well, discarnate life and I get to be in relationship with them on mutually defined terms not just 
what I want out of that relationship. And that's hard um, and requires a lot of work, but it's definitely like the heartbeat of this practice for me. That's so beautiful. Can you expand for people a little bit on like what it means to be animus? Yeah, so a lot of people define animism in many different ways. I kind of operate around the definition um, put forward by my friend and teacher, Althea Sebastiani, who's a amazing person and teaches um, animist witchcraft. Um, where something to understand about animism is that it is a descriptor word. It's not um, a religion. It's not a practice. It's a way to describe a worldview that you have. Um, and some people kind of simplify it and say that animism is like the belief of, and I say that in quotations, the belief that the world is alive with spirits, that everything is inspirited, um, that things aren't things, that they're people too. But that's just one way of defining animism. There's no like one right way to describe it. And many different cultures around the world have different views on um, what they would define as animism. But the most like basic premise is that there are lots of other kinds of people um, or spirits in the world that we live in that we can be in a relationship with, should they also agree, you know, they're individual people, they have their own needs and preferences. Um, and we have the opportunity to interact with them. And we do interact with them all the time, sometimes more consciously than not. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, and I love that it is this kind of like definition, right. Of like how you're interacting with the world. And I think that's something that people often get tripped up on with all of these different, you know, terms and ideas and paths that we throw around is, you know, feeling like you have to choose something, you know, and so often it's your path is much more interconnected and much more of a quilt than anything else, you know, that like you can be animist and you can be, you know, have these other beliefs and have these other paths and they can come together, you know, or whatever, whatever paths you're choosing to be on. Um, so I love that definition. I think anytime we can open up, you know, you don't have to choose one thing. <laughs> anytime we can open that up, I'm so here for it. Well, that's the thing to understand is that you can't like be a practicing animist. Um, it's not a practice, it's not a belief system, it is a worldview, it is a way in which you're like living in the world and interacting with the world. It's all based on a community of relationships. Um, some people would describe, you know, water, mountains, stones as being animate, as having a life force, a inspirited force within them. We even see that like trickling down into some legislation um, being proposed by various indigenous groups around the world where like rivers are being recognized as persons under the law and that is going to help to protect the water and protect uh, that life way you know um, I wish more people would see the world as very much alive but hopefully we'll get there but it's not like monotheism or even polytheism it's not a belief system it's a worldview. And that's like something that is often very hard for people to accept. I've had some people actually yell at me <laughs> about animism in the past because they didn't quite understand what the term means. And it's also been um, 
used in a derogatory way historically. So it's kind of a term that many people are reclaiming. Um, when animism was first coined, it was coined by this guy who was an anthropologist. He was like an English anthropologist, I want to say in the 18th century, maybe the 19th century. And he used the term to, in like a um, derogatory way towards the belief systems of different indigenous peoples. And he juxtaposed animism against like Christianity. And of course, living in a Christian supremacist society, um, animism was seen as bad and primitive and ignorant. And so for some people, the word animism is not, does not have a positive connotation for them. Um, and I really respect and honor that. It's just like the only word that I am, describes what I mean. Like we don't have a better word for it. So I continue to use it while understanding there's a lot of nuance behind the term. Absolutely. And that's so important to name. And there's so many words, so many terms in our space, the spiritual community that have been reclaimed, that have been taken out of context for better or worse, like, and, and reused <laughs> and repurposed. And I think, it, thank you for naming that. Like having the history can sometimes inform us too of like, what, what is it juxtaposed against, you know? Um, and so how does this worldview show up for you in your astrology practice and in your herbalism practice? Um, yeah, I mean, it colors everything that I do because again, it's my worldview. Um, so in reference to like astrology, I have to go back to the very ancient roots of how astrology began. <laughs> um, astrology has always been an animistic practice, at least in its original form as well. It's hard to say what the original form of astrology was because it was such a confluence of shared ideas over long periods of time to create what we know astrology as today. But um, the foundations of what we would consider to be like traditional astrology or Western astrology, which is, I don't like the East-West dichotomy, but again, we're using terms people know. The foundations of Western astrology come from ancient Babylonian astral divination. And among the peoples of Mesopotamia, like in Babylon and Sumer and Ur, et cetera, they saw the planets as gods. They weren't just rocks or balls of gas in the sky. They were representations of their pantheon of gods. And so they were always recognized to be inspirited, to have a, um, like to have personhood or to have godhood in this case. And I think astrology has kind of lost that. You know, we tend to just look at astrology as like a mechanism for understanding um, and parsing out periods of time. But for so many cultures around the world, not just in Mesopotamia, looking to the planets was looking to the gods. Um, and I still kind of keep that alive in my own practice where I do continue to venerate the planets as living breathing, I wouldn't say people, but as like massive spirits that show themselves to us in so many different ways, but also who we can go out at night and say hello to. Um, which I think some people would look at me like I'm kooky for saying that, but I definitely approach astrology in that way. <laughs> no, for sure. Well, and I think that that just right there is such a 
really amazing practice that we have really lost contact with. And that, I mean, I can say for myself, you know, as someone who practices astrology every single day, like I can lose touch with it sometimes too, because we live in a modern 21st century society, right? And just going out and looking at the stars and looking up at the planets and being like, wow, (laughs) like that's astrology. And that's maybe the most powerful way to practice astrology. That's really it. Um, astrologers get back to looking at the sky again, <laughs> challenged. Like, um, it's so much more mind blowing too when you you're like looking at the astrology of right now and you're looking up at the sky and able to not just see it on your circle chart on your phone or on your device, but also like literally see it in the sky. Um, the first time. I saw Jupiter through my telescope. I like cried and fell on the ground and started reciting the Orphic hymn, which might not be for everyone. And it totally doesn't need to be um, your practice as an astrologer. You can get great information about astrology without doing that. But that's part of my worldview. And it's what, it, it really enchants my life. and makes me feel like I'm really a part of the world. And so I will continue to do it. I love that. That's so beautiful. And it, I mean, it goes back to this idea for right from the beginning of this conversation is like how we're connected to everything. You know, it's not, none of these practices are abstract and we tend to treat them very abstractly um, when we're in conversation about them, when we teach about them, right? Like it's very easy to get into the abstract intellectual, like mental space when really every single thing we're talking about, when we're talking about magic, astrology, herbalism, et cetera, is something physical in the world around us. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. And with like astrology in particular, you can go out and you can see those planets and that's going to radically change even your, your skill set. If you can, once you can go outside and visualize the divisions of the sky um, upon the ecliptic and you can go out and you can tell how far away a planet is from another planet because you've spent enough time looking at the sky and comparing the orb you know degree data on your app to what you see then at some point you don't really need your technology to go and have a relationship with the sky um, now I love my astrology software. I'm not about to go hand calculate charts, but it's no, me neither. <laughs> it's really incredible to go outside and be like, oh, that's the midheaven. I see it in the sky. Oh, I can see these planets are within like a 10 degree orb of each other because you can visualize, um, the, incredible mathematics that is required to do astrology and this is something that all astrologers in the past were doing they were doing hardcore geometry and math and we've kind of turned astrology for many reasons that i'm about to gloss over but we've kind of turned it into this like pseudo new age personality typology thing and it's like no it's hardcore and it's always been hardcore (laughs) Oh, I know. I had a friend or I have a friend, I should say, who sent me 
um, his chart when he was a baby, his mom had his chart done and it's this hand calculated chart and he found a copy of it and he sent it to me and it was just like, wow, this is intense. Like I am, I am grateful to live in 2023 and not have to hold, I hold a lot. I'm sure even as an astrologer now, I still hold a lot of math in my head, but not that much. <laughs> looking at an ephemeris gives me a headache. Um, so I'm not, I'm not for it. The first astrologer that I ever saw um, who was a traditional astrologer, she hand did my chart and I still have it like in my desk. Um, and at some point I, I, there's this woman who paints them in the style of like old Persian and Arabic charts. And I really want her to paint my chart. Um, I mean, it's, it's such, it's such a beautiful practice and to become like a certified astrologer at these days, you still have to know how to calculate it, but I don't know how to hand calculate a chart. I will learn eventually. <laughs> on Astro Goals. I have Astro Goals yeah. at all times on my computer. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. There's a balance, right? <laughs> Go out and look at the stars and then it's it's still okay to use your tech. <laughs> Um, so how does this all since like really at your core, I know you're an herbalist. So how does it all tie back to plants for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, so we could say also, or it is true in my worldview that plants are also inspirited beings and you kind of with plants, you have layers of spiritual connection. You have like the plant sitting right in front of you. Like I don't have, well, I do have a living plant. I have the aloe plant on my desk. This aloe plant has its own spirit. We've, I've lived with this aloe plant for like 10 years. This plant knows me, knows my house, knows my space. I've interfaced a lot with this particular plant. So I can connect with this particular plant spirit. I could also work with this aloe to connect with like the overarching spiritual quality of aloe as a whole. And then if we were to bring like the astro herbal piece into it, I could sit and ask Aloe how I can learn about the moon, their planetary ruler, and how Aloe here sitting right in front of me teaches me about lunar virtues. And I can do that in the middle of broad daylight without even being able to see the moon, you know? So there's layers there. And I, because I love astrology and herbalism, I often work with plants to um, as like emissaries of the planets while also recognizing their individuality and like individual spirits. I love that so much, that idea of plants as emissaries or like ambassadors, like representing the planets for us on our, you know, plane, like in a way that we can interact with maybe even more, um, like practically and tangibly than going out and looking at the stars, right. And having those layers of practice, right. Like looking at the planets, engaging with them, having your chart, and then also being able to work with plants as this sort of like, I don't I mean, I, I, I don't have a better word than you do. Emissary is such a good word for it, you know, of like, they're here, they're right in front of us. And they're so tangible. Like there's just something so earthbound about plants. And I also love the idea that, you know, if we have so many different plants that are ruled by each planet, like that they can give us insight into the nuance of that planet you know yeah. and what what those different facets are and like if you think about it um like if the moon is a planet, the moon and the sun luminaries are planets that we all have like a really felt experience with because they guard our 
day and night. And we know what it feels like to look up, like to see the world um, dressed in moonlight, just like we know what it feels like to get a sunburn. So if you were to think about the sun and the moon, let's say there was like a big festival on earth, a conclave where all of the planets were getting together to discuss celestial matters or something. And the sun sent someone from the sun and the moon sent someone from the moon, what would they look like? How would they be dressed? How would they like represent their cosmic entity? Um, and you could think about that in so many different ways. You could think about colors, you could think about stones, you could think about sense, you know, incense and all of these different things that people have connected to the planets with for thousands of years. But plants are like such a, like you said, tangible thing. You can go outside and see 20 different plants in one space. And when you start to consider them through, you know, their planetary qualities, it'll help you learn about those plants. It'll also help you learn about those planets. And it'll help you understand that the world like there, is, there are all of these interconnected relationships in the world that we live in. And astrology has always had a language for that. Astrology has always honored that there is this principle, you know, this hermetic principle of as above, so below, that the planets are influencing this planet and all of the different beings here. That's like part of the philosophical backbone of how astrology works. Um, so plants are like a doorway into that connection. You don't have to do astro herbalism to connect with plants or to connect with planets. But for me as an astrologer and an herbalist, it makes a lot of sense. And it's like a way that I, uh, it's a language that I teach to help people connect with the world. Um, that's really accessible if they're already familiar with those two practices. Yeah. Well, and I, so a huge part of like what I teach in my work is connecting so many of these different tools that are so often taught separately, the moon, the seasons, astrology, plants, like, because I found when I find, you know, cause I learned them separately, like a lot of people, like most people do. And when I started learning them for myself, how they connect, you know, how the, the full moon is when the sun and moon are in opposite signs, you know, like, oh, that suddenly gives you so much more context, you know, it's not so abstract. Um, and I found like when they are connected in that way, whether you pick and choose a couple or you work with all of them, you know, they just, it's like they become more powerful together. Well, and it's very recent that we disconnected all of these things. Um, you know, in, in the realm of astrology, there's some people out there who talk about astro herbalism who treat it as this like secret hidden key that was lost to time or that they created the connections between plants and planets. And while I respect their work and honor their path, it's a total... Um, it, it displays a total lack of understanding of the historical tradition of medicine and astrology, because the first evidence we have of astrological herbalism is literally from Babylon. Uh, it's these tablets where they were connecting plant stones and trees together for uh, like healing elixirs and remedies that they would then petition the planets or the stars to imbue their qualities within. Like they have 
um, docu they have documents of the ancient Babylonians listing different plants and stones and trees as particular remedies for the 12 months of the year, which are of course governed by the 12 primary, you know, the, the zodiac signs, the 12 primary constellations that they use to orient their year around, which is the 12 zodiac signs that we use today. So to like try to say that these connections haven't always existed. I just think people aren't reading books or what, I don't know, because we have the documentation that this was always connected. The scientific world didn't discard astrology and its connections to medicine and everything else until the enlightenment. So we had thousands of years of people witnessing this, all of these different connections with each other. Um, and just like a very recent blip in time that we've disenchanted the world. Absolutely. That's such a powerful way to put it too. Yeah. I, I, you're so absolutely right that like so many of us today learned all of these systems separately. Um, and it's not how they ever were. It's not how we were ever really supposed to come into contact with them. You know, they are interconnected. And I think that reclaiming that now, and it, I'm seeing more and more people reclaiming it through whatever, whatever different tools they're bringing back together. Um, for me, it's those that the seasons and the moon and whatnot. Um, as I think as more and more people reclaim it, it becomes more and more clear how they didn't really make sense without each other, you know, that they weren't supposed to be separate. All of these things are one thing. They're all like the magic of the earth. And like, you can't just divvy them up and separate them, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you could still have like a pretty good astrological practice or a pretty good herbal practice without bringing them together. You know, you told me sure. to, it's not like a you're not going to be a better astrologer because you understand plants necessarily or vice versa. And if we look at historically, we look at the astrologers of old, the greatest astrologers were also trained mathematicians. They were also trained astronomers. So before there was like a separation between astronomy and astrology, but they were also trained physicians. They were musicians. They were polyglots. Like they spent their entire life being scholars, that is not necessarily a path available to everyone today, especially as we continue to live under a hyper individualist society structured around capitalism. Um, and so some people can't become polymaths. And I, that's, I mean, I wish I had the time to be one and the resources to be a full blown polymath. Um, but for so long, the greatest scholars of astrology who wrote so many of the books that we have were doing all of these things. And so of course, if they were physicians, astrology was coloring their worldview. Um, and we have that documented in various medical works and like theories around critical days, which is like the, the timing of fevers and um, when to perform certain operations or give certain remedies according to the moon phase and where the moon was uh, in terms of its sign. Um, so because they lived in a world where these things were not seen as separate in the worldview, there were always these connections being drawn. So anyone saying that they just like invented it yesterday <laughs> is totally off base. 
they might have rediscovered something that already existed, but this is definitely not um, a new thing under the sun, you know? Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> reclaiming. We're reclaiming. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, well, this has been such an amazing conversation. Um, can you tell us where people can find you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm over on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. As long as they continue to survive, we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, at Rowan and Sage. I'm everywhere at Rowan and Sage. So you can find me there. And all the links are on my website, which is rowanandsage.com. And if you're curious about astrological herbalism and drawing these things together through like a seasonal framework throughout the year, I teach some programs. The main one that I teach on astro herbalism is called Seasonal Herbcraft. And in there, we really talk about the origins of astrology and the stars lore from Southwest Asia that contributed to the foundations of this practice. Um, and we talk about herbs to help you care for yourself in different seasons and really use like the solar year to help you not only practice preventative care, but also to help you like learn herbs in a really sustainable format. Cause it can be really hard when you jump into herbalism because you want to learn all the different plants. Um, but this kind of structures, it gives you a point of focus for each month. So you can really build on your knowledge throughout the year. I also teach a medicine making program called Kitchen Herb Craft and have some other stuff on my website and a ton of guest workshops with a bunch of different teachers. And then this summer, I might teach a class on Venus and her many phases. So Ooh, I love that. that'll be a, I'm still writing it. I hope I can do it. It would be during the well, I'm not going to say, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to commit myself to something I haven't fully committed to yet, but I am, the, the goal of that class would be to help people build a Venus practice and like through plants and through astrological techniques and all the beautiful things that Venus loves. I love that. I might, I might have to take that. <laughs> that sounds up my alley. <laughs> That's what's coming up for me. All my other programs are self-paced so people can join them at any time, but that might be a new thing happening this summer. We'll see. Oh, exciting. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll put your links in the show notes, of course. Um, thank you so much for being here. This was great. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks so much. As always, thanks for listening to the Empowered Modern Witches Show. I'm Tanae Stewart, the Witch of Lupin Hollow, and it's my pleasure to be your host. If you loved this episode, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Much love from Lupin Hollow.